Welcome to Revitalize and Restart, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of church revitalization, restart, and renewal. We invite you to listen as a host and some of the best practitioners in the field of church revitalization and restart discuss issues facing the church in America. And now, here is your host, Dr. Steve Sells, author, conference speaker, and president of Operation Transformation. Well, welcome to another installment of Revitalize and Restart, a podcast brought to you by Operation Transformation, a church revitalization group based out of Salisbury, North Carolina. I'm Dr. Steve Sales, your host, and it is a pleasure to have with us today Pastor Lee Kreitzer. Uh, pastor Kreitzer is a founding pastor of Amplified Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a, a church that has experienced a dramatic turnaround from an aging dying church of under 200 to to an average now of about 2,000 with every generation well represented. He's also the founder of an organization called Future Forward Churches. He's the author of For a Generation, a, uh, For a New Generation, a Practical Guide for Revitalizing Your Church. Welcome, Pastor Kreitzer. It is an honor to have you with us today. Thank you, Steve. It's an honor to be here. Today, we're going to be discussing a a different kind of a topic, and you're writing a book on this, and I'm excited about you sharing some of this stuff. As a Southern Baptist, uh, and and of course, other denominations, but I know Southern Baptists well. I've been one all of my life, and as a Southern Baptist, this is a topic that that, uh, our, our pastors need to listen to. Uh, because I think it could revolutionize the future of how churches do um, church, actually, and, and calling leadership and that kind of thing. So the topic we're going to deal with is pastoral secession. And and um, let's ju- just jump right into this discussion. Somewhere in your ministry at Amplified Church, you came to a conclusion that it was your responsibility— to pass the leadership of that church on to someone uh, who would continue the work that you started. Now, you took a church from 200 to 2,000. And and let's talk about this uh, idea because it is so foreign uh, to Southern Baptists that it's, it's, it's necessary, I think, for this discussion. Today. So tell us about this decision, the mechanics, the methods, uh, uh, of the idea of pastoral secession as you walk through that? Um, well, first, as it relates to the turnaround of our church um, and to become a multi-generational church again, it really took a mindset change uh, among our leadership and among our church. The mindset for many, many years was, if our approach to church was good enough for me, then it's good enough for our children. <laughs> and we had to change our mindset from that statement to a question, which is, what will it take to reach our children? And there were certain things that were not on the table for any kind of change, like our our beliefs, our, um, our core values, our mission. But there were so many things about the church that then became subject to change when you started to say, what will it take to reach the next generation? And that mindset change is what opened the door to 
uh, to our church, the average age of our church going down by 20 years to match the average age of our community, because I was definitely convinced that God didn't want our church to just reach a small aging population of our community, but that we were there to meet uh, the needs of every generation. Mm -hmm. Well, the same thing started to happen as the church began to get healthy and strong, particularly as an independent church. I had to look at what will happen when I'm gone. Mm -hmm. And for many pastors, that never really becomes an issue, often because the system or the denomination they're in um, forbids them from looking ahead to what happens after they're gone. (laughs) But I'll talk about that in a moment, um, if you'd like. But I think for me, I went from this deep-seated conviction that my job as the senior leader of the church was just to leverage and use my gifts to build the kingdom of God. That's pretty much what I believed because I didn't want to be, I wanted to hear well done, good and faithful servant. And the only one who didn't hear that was the one who buried his gifts. Um, But I soon began to realize that my highest priority was as a leader was to develop other leaders. And of course it was to use and leverage my gifts. But if I wasn't developing other leaders, then all of a sudden I was not, I was not unearthing their gifts. And that, I believe, is perhaps the most important role of of any leader, and especially as you're looking at uh, towards the tail end of your years in ministry. Mm -hmm. How long long were you in? uh, I know you you went into this uh, this church, uh, uh, Amplify Ministry. How long were you there? How long were you there before this really dawned on you that this is what you needed to do? Well, I had been in ministry early in my career, in my 20s and early 30s. Um, I then transitioned out of ministry, and I worked for a couple of leadership development firms. So it was 50. I was age 50 when I went back to um, ministry, and that's when I started to serve Amplify Church uh, in, its, in the state that it was in uh, at that time. So I would say that being at that age, I realized that I had to start thinking about leadership transition. Even if by, the, by my mid-50s, I was really investing in other leaders internally mm-hmm. um, and saying, who would God's person be? Who is you know, the, the next David who is yeah. going to be taking this church? And how can I invest in that person in a way that will pave the way for, for their future success? So I would say by my mid-50s, and the formal handoff took place just before I was 65 years old. Oh, okay. Okay. And and actually then can you can you say then that maybe this concept of pastoral secession came out of your background in leadership training? I the we worked with leaders, or I had a chance to be to work with leaders from successful organizations from around the world. And the one thing that seemed to be a common denominator was that they did care about what would happen when they were gone, that Uh they would have successors in mind. And they even realized their own fragility of life that, you know, they could be in an accident and they could be gone tomorrow. So for the well-being of the organization, what, what will they put in place? So by age 55, I put in place an emergency successor that said if for any reason I was gone unexpectedly, um, 
the the board had approved uh we had we had changed our bylaws in fact so that if the board approved a successor that person could step right in and mm-hmm. not skip a beat oh wow wow that's that's a tremendous concept well um what do you say and, and you know we get back to the singer tradition because uh, what do you say to the more traditional church that simply I mean, they balk at this. Uh, they don't even want to talk about this. Uh, as a church revitalizer, I go into churches, and 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 you're not going to convince many of them that they need to let their pastor have a say in who's going to be following them in the pulpit. So what do you say to that that traditional church? How do you break that mold, in other words? Well, I think in many church traditions, the interim model is what is embraced, and that is the outgoing pastor leaves, a search committee of some sort is put together, uh, an interim pastor is often hired, and then two or three years after the outgoing pastor leaves, then there's an incoming pastor who is hired. Um, That model works for many churches, particularly churches that are in need of healing, redirection, revisioning, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's really not the best model for every church. And so when you start to look at a church that has positive momentum, that the outgoing pastor is not leaving under poor circumstances, and that the church perhaps has a unique DNA in how they serve their community, then it is to the church's benefit to very seriously consider a situation in which there is an overlap of time between the outgoing pastor and the incoming pastor. And that overlap of time might be measured in weeks. It might be measured in years. But there is a time frame in which the congregation gets to know the incoming pastor under the blessing and mentoring of the outgoing pastor. Mm -hmm. And the outgoing pastor then gives um, the blessing, his blessing, to that incoming pastor. And so uh, it's that can be a very critical idea, especially, you know, the, the whole idea of interim ministry is not an age-old idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it did start in a time, though, kind of like when I grew up in the church that was, uh, this is my church. I don't care if I have a good pastor, a bad pastor, or no pastor. This is my church for life. Yeah. Well, those days are long gone, yeah. you know, yeah. and so um, churches have a hard time regaining lost momentum, which happens very, very, very often during oh, yeah. pastoral transitions. Absolutely. Well, you, you this thing of interim, uh, as a church revitalizer, I've seen this, and as a pastor for, for 32 years, um, to me, and I see exactly what you're saying and the real importance of what you're saying. The the simple fact is, oftentimes when you have a a good leader, and I'm not not talking about a pastor leaving under any kind of pressure or any kind of a a bad situation, but you have a good pastor, he he feels that it's time for him to step aside, putting an interim in there that does not even relate to the pastor who has done the work, who has put in uh, his, his heart into this thing for so many years, it really breaks the momentum in a church. Is that safe to say? Well, it definitely has the potential of breaking that momentum and, and unnecessarily. 
So for instance, you know, my closest friend owns a bakery that was recognized as the number one bakery in the country a few years back. Mm-hmm. And I know so much about the bakery. I know the ins and outs. I know the employees. But the idea that I would plan or I would lead a search committee to find his successor, but <laughs> cut him out of the process. I mean, it would be, it's beyond imagination, but that's what we do. We say, we know you've been, we love you, pastor. You've really built the ministry. You've had great vision. We've embraced that vision. But now when we go for the next person, we're cutting you out of the process. It's it's just not even logical, um, no matter what fears you might have about what, what that outgoing pastor might do, you know, we, we can't base every decision we make on fear. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense uh, to, to uh, especially if the pastor has had a long, long tenure and he's led that church well. Uh, and actually, it's to me, uh, and, I, and, you know, tell me if, I, if I'm wrong here. There could be some real mistakes made, and I and I've seen it as a church revitalizer. There have been some real mistakes made, and it's not fair to the man who has put his life into that church to build it, to grow it, to get it stable, to get it uh, on the right footing to grow, and it is growing. Then, to when he has to step aside, maybe. Maybe it comes to the point he's his health, or he just simply feels led of God to step aside. It's kind of scary when you think about someone who knows very little about what that church has been doing or where it has been to step in and try to fill those shoes. Yeah, and when you mention it's not fair to the outgoing pastor, I think it's not fair to the congregation. Uh, yeah, of course, particularly if there is a positive momentum going in the congregation, why interrupt it? Um, yeah. Why bring in someone who's going to um, undo so much of what is happening because they haven't had a history or a tradition with the church? And that's why I think, um, while it's not always possible, considering being committed to shared leadership and developing leaders in in the church that is critical because that person can then carry on the DNA of what's happening in the church in the same way. I mean, Moses, he was not the one leader, many followers um, approach to leadership, which maybe early on in his ministry was, but at some point he raised up Joshua, he raised up Caleb, he raised up others so that when it was time to hand off, um, there was someone who could pick it up. And it wasn't someone who came in and said, oh, I don't like those 10 commandments that the last guy had. I'm going to have 10 new ones. Now, he built on the amazing foundation that was already there, which is what a great incoming pastor can do. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know a pastor right now that started a church, and actually it's a, it's a kind of a cultural church. It's a, um, uh, uh, it's a cowboy church. Uh, but it's it's it really isn't quote a cowboy church. It's a it's a church more that that ministers to a lot of ranchers, a, a lot of farmers, and 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 guys who identify people who identify as, as cowboys. He's getting up in age, and he's talked to me. And the reason I was so interested in in, in this, I'm going to tell him when I get off 
this program, I'm going to call him and say, you, when this comes up, you need to listen to this <laughs> because he is in the same situation. He Now, he founded the church. That's the good thing. And he's able to be able to say, I, I, I want us to go in this direction. And, and he's not the kind of guy that will ever interfere with any, any leadership. But he has already talked to me a little bit about this, about is it wrong for me to begin to say, I want to cultivate a man that can step into my shoes because he's right now 68 years old. And he says, I'm going to be having to step aside in not too distant future. So I, I can see where it's going to be, and it'll be easy for him because of the simple fact that he established this church. But it's not so easy for these other guys who say even a, in a traditional church has been there 10, 12, 15, 18 years. Now, last church I pastored, I was there 17 years, but they would never have allowed me <laughs> to – to have any input whatsoever into the next pastor, but I wish they had. Yeah, and that's where, like in preparation for this book, I've been doing some case studies of, of various churches that have chosen seamless pastoral succession. And at least half of them are in denominations that forbid it from happening. So oh, I was really? sitting down with one bishop uh, of a mainline church, and I explained seamless pastoral succession. And he said, oh, no, we would not allow it to happen. It's against who we are. And he said, actually, there was one church that I gave permission for it to happen where the outgoing pastor, there was no gap in time between that person and the incoming pastor. Yeah. And that happens to be the healthiest church in our synod. Uh -huh. And that happened in two other denominations where the denominational executive or the bishop or whoever it might be. They said, you know what, instead of saying this is the way and this is the only way, yeah. I need to say what's the best way for this church. And chances are that might be an interim model. Mm -hmm. But there may be a church where you as the denominational executive need to stand in and say, I am going to support this outgoing pastor in being an active part of this pastoral transition. Why? Because it is in the best interest of this particular church. And the, the friend who you were talking about, you know, that's a, um, a unique ministry that that church has. Mm -hmm. And why not let that person hand it off as a mentor to a next generation leader who has a similar passion and a similar uh, yeah. vision for who that church is reaching? Yeah. And, and he, <clears throat> I think this church is in the, position to where they will say, do this. I, I, I'm, I'm glad for that because he's put his life into this church. Well, let's, let's move a little bit further on this and, and talk about something else. When, when is the right time uh, to hand off a church? Uh, I mean, there's got to be a right time and a wrong time. So At the case studies that I have seen where they've done seamless pastoral transition tends to be in the mid-60s where the outgoing pastor um, oh, okay. is handing things off to a pastor that's typically about 20 years younger. Uh, that doesn't mean that's right in every circumstance. But as one pastor um, I heard recently said, said, God used me to fill this church, and if I wait too long, 
I'll also be the one to empty the church. Oh, wow. I don't want to empty the church. And part of it is because the fact is, um, you know, in my early 60s, I still had a lot of energy and vision and focus, but it wasn't the same as in my 40s. Uh, it wasn't the same as my mid thirties. Mm -hmm. It's, it, it's impossible to say, to, to pretend that you're the same person in your sixties and seventies as you were in your thirties and forties. Mm -hmm. And especially when it comes to reaching the next generation. Mm -hmm. um, so if your church is going to be multi-generational and reach the next generation, then chances are it may be under a next generation leader and not under you in your mid-70s or early 80s, as many pastors who have just said, when I die, the church can deal with it. And that that's their transition plan. Well, you, it's interesting what you just said. Um, as a church revitalizer, I'm seeing a lot of egotistical pastors. They, they You know, you said... We've built it up. I don't want to be the one that tears it back down. But, you know, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing pastors who have so much ego, and maybe I'm talking to some right now. Maybe there's some listening to me. I hope they are. I hope they're listening to this whole whole uh, 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 podcast. But when you, when you stop and think about it, if there is a time when you become less effective. I won't say ineffective, but less effective. And But I'm seeing pastors who have been in churches for, I mean, they're in their 60s, late 60s, 70s, and they're, and I, and I feel for these guys. I know they want to preach. I know they want to be in, in churches and leading churches, but there does come a time, I'm convinced, that you have to say, okay, I'm not yeah. being effective like I used to be. Yeah, we like to think we are. And we'll have people, no matter if I was still there in my, as I'm approaching 70, and well, I could go, I've gone well into my 70s, and not one board member would say, it's time for you to go. They love me. Yeah. You know, the congregation loved me. Now, I, you, you would notice the congregation, the congregation would be not quite as young as it once was, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But that's why the senior leader needs to be the one to allow the conversation to take place, to open the door. And the one thing that you mentioned about ego, <clears throat> which means kind of, I'm the indispensable hero around here, so no one could ever take my place. <laughs> yeah. um, that's kind of a Saul attitude when there's a David in the wings. <laughs> yes. um, and I would just say that the most important thing then if you if you recognize that you really have this huge ego issue, then don't try to do a seamless pastoral transition because you'll undermine the next guy anyway. So just, you know, wait till they force you out. Um, because I think the key, perhaps the biggest key to a successful pastoral transition when it's seamless is that the outgoing pastor, any incoming pastor, model humility. And this attitude that John the Baptist had, he had a major thriving ministry with thousands of people following him. And for him to be able to say, I must decrease so that Christ would increase. Amen. That's the attitude. And it's not a very, it's not very easy attitude to adopt for ego driven people, but it's to say, especially like in the last year that I was pastor as senior pastor, 
I spoke half the time and the incoming pastor spoke half the time. Uh Um, By the end of the time, he was leading board meetings and staff meetings. I was there as a coach and a supporter. But the idea that I'm going to be in charge till the very last minute. And believe me, after I leave, I'm also going to be in charge in one way or another. Um, That really doesn't work. And let me give you one example. I am now going an outgoing pastor who in his mid 60s identified a successor, but on his way out of the door, he said to the board, just so you know, I'm here if you need me. Well, sure enough, they needed him and they didn't like the new guy as much as they liked him. So within a few years, he got hired back. The other guy got tossed out by his mid seventies. He had another successor. Um, But on his way out, he said to his board, just so you know, I'm here if you need me. Sure enough, they needed him because they didn't like the new guy as much as him. It was finally his mid eighties before um, for health reasons, he had no choice. And is that really the legacy we want to leave? Um, No, (laughs) you know, just hanging on as long as I can, because I'm the indispensable hero. I I don't think that honors God. That's just, that is just pure ego is what it is. And someone trying to, you know, I had, I had a similar situation in a church that I pastored. I, I had a close friend that was uh, the pastor of the church and, and, uh, I did a revival meeting for for them, and and uh, he decided pretty soon after that that he was going to retire because he was retirement age. Well, they came to me and asked me would I consider, you know, talking to them about being their pastor. And I said, sure, I'll pray about it. And through the process, I, we ended up going there. But this pastor came to me and he said, listen, um, I don't have anywhere to go to church. He said, me and my wife would love to stay here. And he says, I promise you, I will never cause you any problems. Wow, did he break that promise. <laughs> he, it was The church was going to be uh, relocating. The church had $1.4 million in the bank when I got there. And we, I knew I was going to have to relocate the church. And he had worked all of his ministry in that church, which was about 24 years, to help them come to that point. They were going to have to relocate because a highway was coming through the property. When we started buying property and started getting ready to do that relocation, he went bonkers. I mean, and I was the culprit. I was the bad guy. So it ended up, he ended up, leaving the leadership had standing in, but you can't, I mean, here he had spent his life getting that church ready to do what they asked me to lead them to do. Yet his ego got in the way and he didn't destroy the church. We lost some people because of him, but uh, the church went on. We, we grew ego's a bad thing, especially when we're talking, if, if a pastor has a, uh, uh, inflated ego, he'll never be able to do what you're talking about. Yes. And uh, so my successor wants me in church, which I, that that's my church, but I'm there as a prayerful cheerleader period. And people know, don't come, don't come to me with complaints about the new pastor and no one would say to him, you know, why don't you undermine the outgoing pastor? (laughs) Because we have this mutual honor that is a part of, that humility. And 
you know, there, there's nothing easy about seamless pastoral transition. Uh, you have to, you have financial is- issues to deal with. Yeah. You have issues around um, how, how does that transition actually roll out and take place? I think one of the most important things is for the outgoing pastor to realize that if they're handing off a baton, God has another baton to hand to them and to identify that before they leave. So they don't sit out there feeling empty and then try to go back. Uh, And going back, it's like, you know, you pull the rental car over those spikes and then the sign says, uh, don't go, don't go back or you have severe damage. Well, that's exactly what happens if after a handoff, that outgoing pastor can't live without the prestige or the power or whatever it might be. Um, Or they still feel called. I, I gave this off too early, but you back up severe damage will occur. Oh yeah. 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 Well, well, our time is almost gone. Um, And I want to get you back. I really do because this is intriguing to me, uh, this whole concept. I want to get you back uh, and do another program on uh, how do you put together this plan if you go if you're the pastor who's wanting to bring someone in um how do you put that plan together but that's uh, i think that's another another 30 minute program uh if if we can spend time doing it and we'll get together on that can you share just a couple of closing remarks that would be really important to say a pastor that is in that situation wants to be able to do this, share with him uh, just a couple of closing remarks that are important. I just think that pastors and a lot of us as boomer pastors are in our mid fifties and getting, getting older. You're the pastor of a healthy church, uh, a church that has, is fulfilling its mission. Then open the door to the conversation. And if you have a denominational executive who um, would oversee your transition, start that conversation with that person so that you have that external support from the church. Start the conversation with the board of your church and begin to say, I think a time will come. And I really believe for the well-being of the church that you know, raising up a leader from within or, or having an overlap between me and that incoming pastor will be the best for the church. Um, And I just think that conversation needs to start. You may not be able to control the narrative, but at at least introduce that as an option. And what you say is it's my job to have the church on the right track. And I also believe it's my job to hand off to a next generation leader. Amen. Well, our time is gone. Thank you so much, Pastor Kreischer. This has been really a good session, and I appreciate your willingness to to be here with us. And we will get you back on if you're willing to come and talk about a plan uh, uh, that that we could put into effect. For those that are listening, if you heard something today that'll that'll help you lead uh, in your local church, uh, please let us know. Don't forget to tell your friends about our podcast. Be sure to like and to subscribe uh, to the podcast so that you'll know each time that we put up a new uh, uh, a new post. Uh, this is Dr. Steve Sales along with Pastor Lee Kreitzer saying thanks for listening. And our prayer is that what we discussed today might really help you help your church 
in the future. God bless you, and thank you for being with us. Thanks for joining us for Revitalize and Restart. Make sure to visit our website, www.operation-transformation.org, and subscribe to our show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or, if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to join us next time, and again, thanks for listening.